I see women come in with their mothers when they're teens and, you know, mom, what should I do? Mom, what should I do? And then when they have a baby, they're still kind of asking me what they should do, asking their mom. But now when women come in in this time of their life, they're much more, I'm deciding. I'm the one that's going to make this decision and, and I'm going to go with it. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate. A dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. And welcome back to another episode of Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Couplesynergy. And please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 25 years. Everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of. With the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Kristen Mallon. She is a board-certified nurse midwife with over 20 years of experience in women's health. She is a co-founder and CEO of Femgevity, a telemedicine platform for menopause and feminine longevity, providing concierge care for women seeking personalized health care. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today, Kristen. This is uh, really, really a, 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 a wonderful thing for us to be talking about today. So I really appreciate you being on our, our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a, a fan of the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's always fun to meet fans. You know, in our <laughs> intro, we say, you should work on your relationship, but no teach, nobody teaches us how menopause, mm. right? And and we hear so many women struggling with this, and and at younger and younger ages of uh, even like going through fertility and being told they're in early menopause and then getting pregnant, and you know, I I think our the female body is so complicated, and so I know whatever we end up talking about today is going to be really important mm -hmm. to our listeners. Yeah, extremely important since, you know, one of the big demographics of couples that we work with are the empty nesters, you know, couples who, um, you know, the kids are out of the house. They are, you know, at that that midlife age and, and they're looking at each other like, you know, who are you? I don't know who you are. We've been <laughs> been, you know, two ships passing in the night for many, many years. And, you know, it just so happens that menopause is a really big factor you know, in their relationship struggles at that time. Can you talk about the process of menopause? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think to your point, we often think that menopause is really a women's issue, but it's 100% a couple's issue. If a woman has a, a partner at the time that she's going through menopause, perimenopause and, po and into postmenopause. But menopause from a medical definition is really just defined as one day. But colloquially in language, we don't really use it like that. We we really use it to describe kind of like the range of years that lead up to this one day of menopause being, okay, you've been 12 months without having a menstrual cycle, that you hit that one day, that's menopause. Before it is technically perimenopause, after it is postmenopause. 
But when we're talking with friends and family and, you know, we're not like taking a test on, on a medical test, we really see menopause encompasses the years leading up to that point, that point, and then sometimes the years after that. So that's kind of really what I think we mean when we're talking to each other about what is menopause really. And, you know, what are some of the misconceptions, you know, besides the fact of time, you know, that that people have about menopause? I think that there's many misconceptions. So I think one of them is that it's set for a specific time. So menopause can actually happen to a woman as early as her 30s and as late as wow. her late 50s. You know, later than that is is pretty atypical. We don't really see women into the 60s kind of going through menopause. But I mean, I've, I've been in the field of OB for a long time, and I've always used the mantra of anything's possible because every birth story, every woman's story is always unique. So I'll leave it open to the possibility of that. But generally, the average age of menopause is 51. And I think that women are expecting something to happen to them like around that age, but the symptoms can really start a decade before. So I think that's one of the biggest myths. The other thing is, is that hormone replacement therapy causes breast cancer. That is another huge myth. Also that hormone replacement therapy is the only method. There's plenty of methods that bioidenticals are bad for you or bioidenticals are unsafe. Another myth. There's myths that it's really only about hot flashes and, you know, a few sexual changes or decreases in libido. Absolutely not true. Menopause affects almost every single system from your skin to your lungs, to your heart, to your liver, cholesterol. It affects all forms of like pretty much every single system in medicine has some effect of menopause because hormones are so prevalent and they're so powerful and potent and they do so many different things that as we go through all these different changes, it's no wonder that it has a pretty significant impact on our lives. So there's there's lots and lots of myths that I could probably we could probably spend 45 minutes of me just kind of dispelling myths about menopause. But I think those are some of like the key ones. What are some of the common symptoms that you know a woman might notice or her partner might notice? You know, that yeah, would so signal. That's a really good question. So they're different, I would say, in the perimenopausal time, the menopausal time, which I would say is really kind of like that year when they're go when a woman is kind of like, okay, my periods have stopped. I'm in the time now where my estrogen levels are coming down and I'm not menstruating anymore to the time after that year of where menstruation ceases. So in the perimenopausal time, the symptoms tend to be a lot of mood changes, a lot of sleep changes, not so much hot flashes, but night sweats. This is when a woman will sometimes get new onset anxiety that she's never had before or new onset depression, a lot of changes in libido or sexual health. Sometimes there'll be changes in vaginal secretions or vaginal dryness, and there'll be lots of fatigue, loss of energy, a lot of weight gain. This is really, really common in the perimenopausal time. So that time when a woman is kind of like late 30s, 40s, late 40s, menopausal, it's much more, this is now when estrogen is starting to fluctuate really significantly. And this is really when you typically get more of the hot flash symptoms. And then there's something called GSM or geroenterogenesis syndrome, which is like a, um, it's, it's a system that kind of affects the urinary tract as well as the vaginal tract. So women will sometimes get urinary symptoms. They'll have more hesitancy or urgency or frequency. They'll leak urine. They'll have more urinary symptoms when they go through the menopausal time, that midway point, right around the, the year when the menstrual cycle stops. 
And then when you get into the postmenopausal time, this is when we often see kind of the cumulative changes that happen a lot of times with the loss of all of the hormones together. So now you've had the decrease of progesterone, estrogen, DHEA, testosterone. So women have testosterone too. They actually have more testosterone than estrogen. And we, we see the changes in joint pain, more arthritic pain. There's sometimes vaginal dryness, brittle hair, loss of hair, brittle bones, cardiovascular changes, cholesterol will start to go up. And a lot of these are really the changes associated with postmenopause. Do you see menopause as being a, a transformational time for a woman and a couple? Yeah, absolutely. So I really believe very strongly, just like I believe about birth, that birth is an opportunity and not every woman chooses to experience birth or wants to experience birth or gets to experience birth or experiences birth in a different way. So maybe I want to say fertility, pregnancy, um, and even the lack thereof, kind of like the transition or decision of motherhood, I feel like is very transformative. And it's a, it's a significant opportunity in a woman's life to kind of have really big shifts and have this opportunity to have a an emotional look, a spiritual look, a physical look, and a mental look at what's going on. And menopause is very, very similar. So what happens is a woman comes into the perimenopausal time, it's similar to how birth is. It's a little bit of apprehension, a little bit of fear, a little bit of wonder, a little bit of comparison, comparing how did it go, how did it go for my mother? How did it go for my aunts? How did it go for other women in my family? There, there's a lot of similarities I see between birth and I see between menopause. And I love that you use the word transformation because I think that when we can kind of unwrap, like, well, why, what do I have to believe about myself is true to feel the way I'm feeling about my, my, my beliefs about aging, about my beliefs about changing, about my beliefs of the changes in my body and my fertility and my menstrual cycle. And what does that mean to me? If we really take the opportunity to look at what all of those things mean for us, it can be this really wonderful, powerful, transformative experience that a woman can come out on the other side and get into the postmenopausal time and have a much fuller, beautiful self-expression of who she is and who she was meant to be. Yeah, I, I described it as like everything that I went through during puberty coming up for healing. I always mm -hmm. like to call it reverse puberty. And mm -hmm. the things that you can tolerate in your 30s become unacceptable. There's a truth mm -hmm. that comes up. And and I remember I also sort of described it like the Hulk, like you go from being the guy to the Hulk and back, you know, it, it's the, the hormone fluctuations are... Um, there's, there's a deep truth in them and a big lie in them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day I was just watching my thinking and I could hear the difference between the kind of crazy intrusive thoughts that were not true and that wisdom that was in there. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, you're so much more aware, obviously when you're 50 something than when you're in your teens of kind of what you're going through. And you can't even think like that as a younger person, but it's quite shocking. And um, the, the feeling of losing control, you know, especially, uh, you know, for me, I'm someone who does a lot of work in the mental and emotional realms. And, and to go through that was, 
it was very, very, very powerful. I, I like that word because it's not all good or bad. It's both. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what, what are you seeing with partners and, and, and watching their spouse go through that? Yeah. So, you know, in general, people who are experiencing menopause often are putting themselves on the back burner. It, it, it's not for everybody, but it's a common thing that we find. And, and it takes someone else telling them, hey, you know, there are, there are things that can be done here. There are, there are therapies, there are ideas. And I love that you bring it up that you were like, okay, the way that you kind of processed it mentally and emotionally. And I think that there are women who process it physically and, and spiritually. And I think sometimes they're you, they get used to being like you, like every decade, I always say every decade of a woman's life, like you bring up puberty, like zero to 10 is a certain kind of homeostasis point. And then 10 to 20 is another kind of set normal point. And then 20 to 30 and 30 to 40. And then, so in the menopausal time, it's another shifting, but it, it happens because all shifts are so different. The characteristics of this shift are really quite physical and quite mental and emotional, like you said. And, um, and so I think partners are watching that happen. Sometimes it's easy to see because they're looking at it more than like a woman can't, or someone going through menopause can't see what, what they're doing or can't see what, what they're, they can't see the chocolate that's on their face, but their partner can be like, oh, wow, like this is a very, this is very different than what I saw from you five years ago, two years ago, last year. And it's easy for them to kind of notice, you know, the, the sty in your eye and the log in someone else's eye kind of thing. So sometimes we really find that couples or partners are really the ones who kind of bring up like, hey, like, do you want to have the awareness that this could be what's actually going on? And then I think even just that shared awareness that like, hey, could this be perimenopause? Could be what's happening here? Could this this experience that we're going in, could this these thoughts, these intrusive thoughts that you're having or this shift in behavior or this fatigue or this new onset insomnia or all of a sudden like this, this changes with your skin be perimenopause and partners a lot of times are the ones who are kind of pointing that out and bringing that up. And then that awareness is helping to kind of get to the kind of get to the transformative and the juicy part faster. Well, you know, I can attest to being a partner, you know, witnessing and, and, and going through it as well with you. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it really depends on how connected couples are, you know, that determines how moving through it is going to, you know, result in the connection or lack of connection afterwards, because, you know, for partners who are connected, you have a concern you're seeing your partner go through this and, and it's painful and you, you can't help but not feel that pain also, right? And also be the the recipient of that pain from time to time, right? But <laughs> if you are disconnected, I, I think it's very easy for for men to say, well, oh, this is just all hormonal. It's all physical, right? Mm-hmm. When the transformation, it looks way, way beyond just physical symptoms or physical changes in the body. You know, as you were talking about, there's this emotional, you know, catharsis that comes up Mm -hmm. and it is a a spiritual type of questioning that has to happen too, because now you're questioning, you know, like who you are and who you want to be. And, you know, I I think in essence, I kind of went through a shift myself just because I had to, 
right? It, it wasn't necessarily hormonal, although there are you know hormonal changes for men at this age, but not as drastic. And you know, my shift was to to become you know a partner, you know, walking side by side with you through this challenge, you know, and and that's just you know my experience going through it. And and I I think the biggest problem was that there was really no um, role modeling out there. Yeah. Or yeah, information yeah. in general. Yeah. And I think even just sharing this information that I think one of the things that happens a lot of time because of the age that a woman goes through menopause, which is like I said, it's the average age is 51, 52. It, it can also be a time in a relationship and not always, but where the relationship is usually like a decade or more old, like, or young, the, the relationship has been, you've been with that person for a decade or more. So you're kind of like in a different phase in your relationship than you are in a newlywed phase or in a, you know, uh, like butterflies and like the, you know, intimate, like um, the new love kind of phase. And I think that it's, if you don't have the awareness about what a woman could ex could experience or might experience, then it's it can be easy to blame the relationship or it can be easy to blame the partner or the partner can feel like it's their fault or vice versa, when in fact, it really could have something to do with something completely outside of the, the relationship itself. And because that person is so close to you, it's easy to then displace what you're experiencing onto that person. And then just having a conversation like this and just kind of like having people think and be like, hmm, wait a minute, like, should I get my hormones checked? And not because you want treatment or you don't want treatment or it's right for some people, not right for some people, all different types of things are, are right for everybody. But just having the awareness of like, okay, like I can mentally know now, okay, well, my progesterone levels have dropped. Hmm. Okay. What does that mean? What are the different steps I could take? What can I do? How can I use my physical, emotional, spiritual, mental tricks, tools, tips to kind of help myself and my partner get through? You know, you mentioned treatments. Um, can you talk a little bit about what treatments are there out there and why would someone choose to use one treatment versus another? Yeah. So I, I always like the analogy again of pregnancy because I think we understand pregnancy a lot. And so I use the analogy of nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. So some women go through pregnancy and they have no nausea and vomiting. They feel better. They can eat whatever they want. They're eating ice cream every night. They feel amazing. And then about 80% of women are going to experience some form of nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. And then you have 1% of women that are going to have severe hyperemesis. Like they can't even keep water down. And there's actually a gene now that's been linked to hyperemesis. But And so menopause is very similar in terms of symptoms. You can have some women that have no symptoms at all, you know, a little bit, a little bit of symptoms here and there, but not much to kind of everything in between. And then to women who are really, really suffering pretty severely, you know, a lot of times the, the New York Times actually just came out with an article about the Mayo Clinic, about loss of work, women that are having to call out of work for menopausal symptoms. And I think it was like something around, I don't want to misquote myself, but it's some, somewhere in the billions of dollars of, of lost productivity because of menopausal symptoms. And so you can have any gamut of experiencing menopause in that arena. And for treatments, we have treatments really all the way from 
diet and exercise. We have gut microbiome balancing. We have micronutrient level testing. So that's, you know, then going to be like supplements and nutrients. Like we have different types of hydration and vitamin supplementation. Then you can start getting into over-the-counter phytoestrogens, plant-based estrogens, soy-based estrogens, yam-based estrogens, similar with progesterone. There's a lot of over-the-counter progesterones, bioidentical progesterones that are even over-the-counter. Then moving into compounding or bioidentical hormones, which are hormones that are made in small batches in usually pharmacies that are compounded pharmacies scattered throughout the United States that make them identically uh, chemically identical to what women make themselves. And then all the way to technically what we call hormone replacement therapy, which is more of the estrogen and the progesterone, the estradiol patches, rings, and that type of therapy to help women manage symptoms. We actually have a a new drug called the HUSA, which is a kindy neuron inhibitor um, that was just approved like two weeks ago on the FDA. And there, the FDA also has approved the use of uh, and the SSRI Paxil to help with vasomotor symptoms and, and menopausal symptoms. So that, that's kind of the different realm of, of treatment that kind of goes into working with someone with menopause. There's lots of um, alternative therapies too. So we, there's a lot of acupuncture, chiropractics, hypnotherapy, you know, all the way into Reiki and um, lots of different types of energy and body works that's done on menopause as well. well. I wanted to ask you, you know, because we're kind of familiar with the mental health field and its strengths and limitations, how much does the medical field know about all of these different treatments, you know, for, you know, menopause and when and where and how to actually utilize these treatments? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And, and what I, so I, I definitely want to get into that be, a lot because I think it goes the other way too for mental health workers. I think about this all the time because we've had women, some women who are suffering so much that they ask us for inpatient treatment when all they needed was a little progesterone. And so I I find that I think this question co- goes both ways. So for us, whenever I speak to a woman that's working through a mental health concern. If it's a new onset, I'm really suspicious. If it's a new, if she's 47 and it's a new onset mental health concern, whatever it is, anxiety, depression, if it has to do with ADHD, which is common in menopause as well, I'm suspicious that this is something that's hormonal related. Mm. And because I've worked similarly also with women who are postpartum, it's such a similar experience in the, with the perinatal mood disorders. They're so different from traditional mental health changes that I think people that live with chronic depression or chronic anxiety or other, you know, OCD or other chronic mental health concerns go through. Um, I, I really feel that there's, I think that this niche of women is lacking in that field too. So I always want to talk to mental health professionals also and say, Hey, are you finding that women are coming to you all of a sudden out of blue? They've never really had depression or anxiety before. All of a sudden they have new onset. They're 43, they're 42, they're 38. Like, could it be hormonal related and could it be treated with something as simple as a bioidentical progesterone? And in my experience, the answer a lot of the time is yes. And so sometimes we get women in in all different type, in all different stages of 
their therapy because they've gone to their internist, they've gone to a mental health practitioner, they've gone to an OBGYN who maybe not of their own fault, isn't an expert in menopause, you know, is an expert in pregnancy, is an expert in childbirth, is an expert in gynecology, could do a fibroids surgery and deliver a baby totally fine. But because they never got that training in menopause and hormonal balancing that happens in the midlife, they just don't understand. So, so we're getting women that have gone through the runaround. They've tried a lot of different types of therapies. And it's sometimes it's a really simple solution, something very, very easy, and they feel better pretty quickly. So I, I think... I think that that can go both ways. But if a woman has been working with anxiety, treated or untreated for a long time, had a pretty significant event or a very traumatic event or a history of trauma or has had a history of depression or has had a history of any other type of mental illness, then, you know, I'm less suspicious that hormones are playing a role. Although I do think hormones might be exacerbating something that might be mm -hmm. underlying but then I wouldn't really go for it as a single therapy. I would try to work with whatever other practitioner they're working with and then kind of be the adjunct and the supportive in that case. I think the, the interesting thing are, are the, we call them symptoms because that's the words we use, but a lot of times it's, it's something calling out for out, something that's out of balance in your life on those multiple levels, but most professionals are trained in only one arena, yes. whether it's physical or emotional or whatever. And it's so much bigger than that. And, you know, we live in a time where we want to diagnose everything and everyone has these labels. And, you know, I, I like to think about a lot of depression is spiritual depression. It's not that chemical imbalance in your brain, although your brain can become that way, but it's something out of balance in your life. And, you know, especially, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Christian Northrup's work mm -hmm. and yes. she says, you know, menopause is like the birthing of your soul. And in a way that you don't really have access to as a younger woman. And so all of a sudden, this other part of your life that has been sort of dormant or silent or not very useful because you're busy raising kids and living life and putting food on the table, whatever we're doing. And then this comes up and what do we do with that? And can you go to a spiritual um, coach or do you go to a yoga class? Do you go to um, a a medical person and get, you know, your, your physical body checked out. It's so holistic. It's so big that each of them relate to the other ones. And I, I know for me, I probably did something on all those levels and, and there were times where you had to sort of sit in it and really wait for, I don't really know, maybe it's, uh, some type of, you know, if you, if we're going to go back to birthing, when you first have a baby and you get breast milk, it's not regulated yet because your baby hasn't figured out how much it needs. But then after a while you get regulated. Well, the same thing is true hormonally during menopause. And when you get to a different level of frequency of regulation of the hormone, that wisdom comes up. And that's when meditation was more important at that time versus supplements at another time or or whatever. And so I think that's the really hard thing is there isn't a place that all those disciplines come together, but the yeah, change is all those levels. Yeah. And what I think is really cool about that and, and what I try to encourage women to is when you, menopause is the opportunity to kind of listen to your own voice when it comes to that mm -hmm. too. 
So getting good, because it's there. And and I see this because when, when working with younger women, because I have had the opportunity to work with women of all different ages, which I think is really interesting. So in any given day, when a woman comes in, I could see a 75-year-old and I could see a 16-year-old and anything in between. And so you start to recognize patterns. And, and I really encourage the women that are in their 50s I'm like, you know the answer. Like you intuitively are going to know the answer. Here are the options. Which one, when you sit with it, is going to feel right for you in this moment? And let that voice of intuition come to the surface because that's exactly like what you were saying is like, that's the opportunity. That's the opportunity for transformation so that women can hear their own voice and then make their own decisions. And then when they move into postmenopause, they're confident that, okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing now. And, and I think it's interesting because it's the time of the life too when you know, you, you're the daughter, the mother, the granddaughter. And it's the time when you're coming into the granddaughter role. And you know, of course, th- th- these are just archetypes, you know, that you're when you're coming into the granddaughter role, you're it. There is no more great, there, you know, there can be, but the great grandmothers are available to you in a different way. They're not available to you in necessarily the physical way. And so it forces you in a very strong way to tap into, okay, I'm answering my questions now. I have these, I have these barriers and these walls. This person's going to tell me, is this safe? Is this not? I'm not a, I'm not a hormonal expert and I'm not a meditation expert. And, you know, I'm not a, a Reiki practitioner. I'm not a mental health practitioner. So I know that I have these barriers, but I'm also going to be able to trust my own self that, Yes, this is what I need. And I hear women tell me that all the time. I know it's hormonal. So then I'm like, you know, it's hormonal. Let's go there. You know, it's not this, you know, you're on an SSRI or you're on some, you're on, they put you on a medication for anti-anxiety. You know that that's not what it is. Great. Let's go with, let's go down here. Or they'll say something else to me. It's my past trauma coming up and I need to explore. And then I'll say, okay, here's three modalities. Here's meditation, here's hypnotherapy, here's, you know, emotional freedom technique. And I'm like, sit with it. Which one of these feels better for you? And then, and then watching women go through that. And and that's really available to women and, 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 you know, especially women who can kind of understand that the concept really can run with it and, and go through menopause really exactly like you said, very powerfully and very transformatively. I I like how you kind of phrase that as an opportunity because it absolutely is right and and there's that Jungian concept of the morning of life and the afternoon of life and there's this shift that happens for men and women when they go into that afternoon of life and kind of what you're describing kind of rings you know you know resonates with me in the fact that women go from you know being there for everybody else and then there's this shift now this opportunity to start to look at themselves and put themselves first, right? And that's that whole listen to yourself. When, you know, they've been bouncing around from practitioner to practitioner, tell me what's wrong with me, right? And what you're saying is listen to yourself because you are going to have those answers. Yes, yeah. And and I think sometimes the loudness of a woman's voice surprises her in this time of her life too. Mm. Because sometimes the that intuitive I've heard voice it pretty loud. Yeah. (laughs) That intuitive voice is, you know, I I just, I see women 
come in with their mothers when they're teens and, you know, mom, what should I do? Mom, what should I do? And then when they have a baby, they're still kind of asking me what they should do, asking their mom, asking their friends, what, what should they do? But now when women come in in this time of their life, they're much more, okay, I'm going to, I'm deciding I'm, I'm the one that's going to make this decision and and I'm going to go with it. And, and I think that it, for a lot of them, they're surprised maybe, or they could expect that their intuitive voice is going to be louder. You know, I had a question about um, infertility treatments, right? And the impact of also, um, you know, uh, no, the, the pill, the pill, right? Okay. So the pill and, and also infertility treatments and everything. Are you seeing a trend, you know, in how it impacts menopause? Oh, this is, this is like my, my big, um, my big theory. So there, there, I haven't found any research to kind of prove my theory about this, but I, I'll share my theory about it with you. Um, so there's been a lot of speculation, like has birth control use, which kind of really became popular in the 50s, changed the age at which women go through menopause? And, and the answer is no. The average age of menopause is really 51. It hasn't really changed in the since we've really been calculating it. And what I think is really just, there's two things that really fascinate me about human menopause specifically. One is that human women are the some of the only, they're really the only land mammals that go through menopause midlife. So most other mammals, and when you're talking about apes and chimpanzees, like our closest genetic relative, they're fertile up into the last couple years of their life, last decade of their life. Most mammals are. It's a couple whales, like killer whales, narwhals, beluga whales, they go through menopause midlife like we do. But no other mammal and no other land mammal goes through menopause the way human women do. And even human men, human men are fertile until the end of their life as well. And, and their andropause or male menopause, so to speak, is a much more gradual decline. It, it's something that's much more it, it's much more softer, if if you want to say. I think that that's fascinating. Like, why is that? I, I, I think about that at night before I go to bed. Um, and then the other thing is, is that the way that a woman's body is really designed and whether you kind of want to say be okay with this or not, but this is just kind of where we are, is where women's bodies are really designed to get pregnant in the teen years and then have a pregnancy which stops menstruation for nine months and then usually 18 months to three years after for breastfeeding, have a few menstrual cycles and then repeat. And so women are meant to have eight to 12 children in their lifetime. And they're only really meant to have about 50 to 70 menstrual cycles in their lifetime. And so the shift away from that, and, and we do still have communities that have families that are this large and women that have families that are this large. I mean, I had a patient who had 19 children. So there's, wow. there are women who are still practicing kind of this really uh, uh, designed way that a woman's body is meant to be. And when we don't do that, whether it's just naturally or we, we choose not to have children or we take birth control pills, that's why I believe we have a lot of hyperestrogenism. We have a lot of high estrogen levels in general in women because we're having 500 menstrual cycles in our life rather than 50 to 70. And so that leads to overgrowth in the endometrium, endometriosis, adenomyosis, fibroids, polyps, overgrowth, infertility, and then obviously um, different experiences with menopause for sure. 
But there's that's my theory. I, I look all the time for research to back it up, and I um and I'm I'm waiting for someone to come tell me that I'm right, and I'm also waiting for someone to tell me why human mammals, human women, are the only mammal that we're not fertile until like why don't we go through menopause at like 85? You know, like so I'm kind of waiting for for the information on that. Yeah, we'd probably be better moms if we had kids in our 40s and 50s instead of in our <laughs> teens and 20s. Yeah. You know, it, it is an interesting thing. My mom had nine kids and uh, she had what she describes as no real experience going through menopause, but her life is completely different. And I don't know if she's aware of that. But at the same time, my dad died when my mom was 58. So she went from being literally barefoot pregnant stay-at-home mom, submissive partner to running her own show. Mm. And now she is more of an alpha type of person than she used to be. And, but she, she doesn't really have a, a really conscious experience of what she's been through. Cause she'll say mm -hmm. it was like nothing. It didn't impact me at all. And maybe some of that is on the physical level because she did every 15 months have a baby for 10 years. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's really interesting. I bet you that's really hard to study. You know, I have a client who we were talking about this recently and she has a, an IUD and she's like, I've had three periods in my life, you know? So she's under a med medication controlled system. So mm -hmm. she's like, I don't know if I'm in menopause and I don't want to risk potentially getting pregnant if I stop this form of birth control. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Cause I didn't experience that. Um, right. And, and so I think there is so many different choices women have in terms of how much they use birth control or other things that I, I bet it is very difficult to get any, any real science behind it. Yeah. And, and hormones are very pulsatile. And so the way that our bodies produce them, it's hard to measure. And the half-life of some of them is very short. And so a lot of even the research that we do is based half on diagnostic data and then also half on symptoms. So it's, it's, and then what happened with the WHI study in 2002, you know, we, we kind of talked about that a little bit before, um, has really kind of made it difficult to study women and, and hormones and HRT. Can and, you talk about what that study is? Yeah. So in, in 2002, there was an, a pretty large study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in JAMA. It, it studied 27,000 women over the course of several years. I think the study went on for three or four years. There were 40 principal investigators on the study. And this was the study that looked at this. The study was really designed to figure out if hormone replacement therapy had cardiovascular benefits because statins were starting to become popular at the time. And, and statin is a, a cholesterol lowering medication. And the thought was, well, can we use estrogen and statins like cocomintly, or can we use one instead of the other? Like which one should we be using? And then what that study found was one arm of the study, and it was the arm that took the progestin and estrogen combination, which we don't even really do anymore. So it's um, Premrin and Provera. So that study of the arm had went from a 0.3% chance of getting breast cancer. So three in a thousand women getting breast cancer to 0.4 to four in a thousand women got breast cancer in that arm study. 
And so they halted the entire study. They came out with, uh, they published something in JAMA in the Journal of American Medical Association that said estrogen causes breast cancer. And overnight, in 2002, and I don't know if you remember this happening, but I mean, it was right when I was in school. So I I remember like them telling us like estrogen is going to cause breast cancer. You're going to kill people if you give estrogen. You can't do this. And that's when I was in school. So that lasted for about five or six years until 2007 when they looked at the data again and they found that actually the women in the estrogen arm had a lower chance of breast cancer and that the study that they really kind of overreacted to the study. And there have been some pretty prominent doctors since then that have kind of like Dr. Avram Blumring, who wrote this book called Estrogen Matters. And there's another doctor, Dr. Peter Atia, who's like a huge proponent in longevity medicine, who have said that like this study was probably one of the biggest like incompetencies of medicine in the last hundred years, like what happened because it denied like 4.5 million women HRT that could have needed it and could have benefited from it and the benefits that HRT have on cardiovascular health and bone health and Alzheimer's and dementia prevention is pretty significant for certain populations. And so then to deny those populations access to this medication was like this huge debacle in medicine. But since that study came out, everyone's been afraid of hormones and studying them and there, there haven't been any, nobody's wanted to put funding behind getting a new hormone out on the market because we have a lot of estradiol patches and pills from before that study. And it's kind of been associated with breast cancer. So there hasn't been a lot, there just hasn't been a lot since 2002 in terms of understanding more about menopause and very, very little. And has and that what, been worldwide or is that just yeah, so, in the United States? Yeah. And so what's kind of been coming out is actually there's a lot going on in Australia. Um, Australia just approved a medication for testosterone, actually. Um, they're like FDA equivalent approved a medication for testosterone. They have a DHEA supplement. They they have a lot of more. They're, they're, they kind of continued the good fight. And the same thing with Europe. And actually Europe <laughs> provides a lot of their bioidenticals over the counter. So you can just go to a, have a conversation with the pharmacist and say, this is my symptoms. This is what I'm experiencing. And the pharmacist will help you pick something out like in the aisles that are over the counter. Mm. So there's a big difference between what's going on in the United States and, and what's going on in Europe and in Australia. And I imagine that helps women really take control of their own health, you know, versus having some gatekeeper here in the U.S. dictating how you are going to take care of your health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then it goes back to what we talked about earlier is like women get to intuitively like, okay, here's the, here's the safety barrier for me. The pharmacist is there. I can consult with the pharmacist, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's my decision about what I'm going to do. Yeah. At, at what point do you see women coming in and seeking treatment with you? Yeah. So usually when they're really symptomatic, <laughs> like pretty, um, pretty, pretty symptomatic. So that's kind of um, my experience is that they typically wait um, a long time because they kind of want to wait and see, like, can I just, can I, is it just going to be over quickly? Like, am I just going to get through it and it's not going to be a big deal? Um, sometimes women will come in for their annuals or their yearlies. And I will, because I'm very proactive, I will ask them like, well, how's it going? I see the age. 
I ask them, I'm like, okay, here are your options. And I kind of try to set them up for those, that conversation of like, listen to yourself. Like I'm here. This is what my resources are available here. There's these people over here. There's these people over here. But when women come to me, they're, they're very symptomatic typically and all different types of symptoms. Or like I said, it's the partner that has kind of like brought them in or sometimes we'll have partners call like, can you call my wife? Like, and I'm like, no, I can't. Like, she has to call me herself, but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> so, you know, if someone were to, you know, want to get more information about your work and, you know, kind of where would they go? Yeah. So um, our website is femgevityhealth.com. And we have, we're on all the socials, um, just at Femgevity. So at Femgevity on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook. And we're, we're very accessible and you can send us an email at hello at femgevityhealth.com as well. And we answer a lot of questions all the time. We, we give a lot of free advice, um, but that's because like, we just really feel passionate about what we do. And we really just want women to feel empowered to make their own health decisions and get the help and the answers that they need so that they can navigate their own menopause journey the way that they want to. That's fantastic. And we're definitely going to include that in the show notes. And I understand you're also on a podcast yourself. You have a podcast and you know, can give our audience the podcast name so they can look that up as well. Yes. The podcast is True Birth. So it's it's a truebirthpodcast.com. So that is a pregnancy. It's a pregnancy podcast all about pregnancy. That's awesome. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It was very enlightening, and yeah. I think it's going to be very enlightening for our audience as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun to talk to both of you. We want to thank all of you for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please let us know how you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs, such as Relationship 101, the home study course, the Couples Relationship Enhancement Weekend, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, Please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.